Welcome to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour, and we do love happy hour and the clinking of glasses and cheers to all you fabulous women who are fully living your lives at every age and every stage. And here's the best news, every hour is happy hour. So whether you clink cheers with your coffee mug or your afternoon cappuccino, remember as the song says, it's five o'clock somewhere. Join us for some grown-up fun, interesting and stimulating conversations that will motivate, inspire, or just make you laugh. And for more grown-up fun, visit our website, The Three Tomatoes, and the three is spelled out, and sign up for our newsletters. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the episode. Had a great ocean trip, didn't scare us at all. We had a few drinks in Canada, flew blind all the way, and here we are. Halfway across, the pilot turned around to me and said, you a little nervous? I said, yeah, that's only my third time up. He said, you beat me, this is my first. <laughs> the only man in the world can kiss a girl and give her the brush off at the same time. There he is. <laughs> Look at that jungle. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Look at that. Careful, careful. Huh? Snipers. <laughs> Greetings, tomatoes. I'm Cheryl Benton, and I'm host of today's Happy Hour podcast. And you just heard Bob Hope entertaining the troops during World War II. And I am so excited to be able to celebrate Veterans Day with a very special guest today, Martha Bolton. Martha was the first woman staff writer for Bob Hope. She helped to write his television specials, his personal appearances, and his military shows for 15 years. She's an Emmy-nominated writer and playwright and author of, get this, 88 books of humor and inspiration, including three New York Times best-selling books. She recently collaborated with Bob Hope's eldest daughter, Linda Hope, to create a really beautiful and very special new book called Dear Bob, Bob Hope's Wartime Correspondence with the GIs of World War II. So welcome, Martha. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, uh, it's a thrill to be on your show, Cheryl. Uh, well, I'm really delighted. And before we talk about this book, though, I want to talk about you because you have had such an amazing career. And as I said, for 15 years, and by the way, this is way after World War II, because <laughs> you weren't even born then. I, we just want to set that straight, right? You were a staff writer for Bob Hope, and I know you were his first female staff writer. And in those days, I don't think there were very many female women comedy writers. So tell us how that happened, what the job was like, and what was it like working for this really legendary man? Well, it, it was an amazing position to be able to uh, be in. And the way it happened was I had uh, I had been writing for other comedians, uh, Phyllis Diller being one of them, and, and received a lot of encouragement. And I uh, wanted to get into script writing. So for I, I didn't have a typewriter at the time that was working. Order for uh, for 20 minutes, I went down to the local library and just kept plugging in quarters. And I wrote up two spec scripts for, for the uh, show Mama's Family because I had connected, uh, I had written, I read a book of his, uh, Gene Parrott, who used to be a staff writer for the Carol Burnett show. Yeah. So I had wrote him this letter, didn't ask for anything but just told him that we had a lot in common because he had written for Phyllis and I had written for Phyllis. And then he also would roast the uh, 
the people at his work and and, uh, and I started roasting different business uh, presidents and uh, our uh, would roast our pastor at our church and then I got kind of known for that and then so we had this in common so I wrote him a letter and he invited me down to see a taping of mama's family and then my husband and I went out with him afterwards and I had this scrapbook of all, of my different writings I had I was doing a newspaper column at the time a comedy newspaper column and then I had magazine articles and then jokes that I had sold. So he was so encouraging, told me I should be writing, you know, on ho in Hollywood. And then he's the one that uh, suggested that I write a couple of spec scripts. So I got them to Gene. He got them to Ed Simmons, who was the uh, producer of, of Mama's Family. And, and then he called me and said he really liked my work. And the next season, he was going to call me in to pitch some show ideas to him. So I was on this incredible high. And then what happened uh, in Hollywood, as it often happens, the show didn't get picked up. Gene also happened to be a writer for Bob Hope. And he said, would you like to try out writing some jokes for Bob? And so I did. I got them to him. He got them to Bob. And then I waited to hear back. And then one night, uh, it was late at night after 11 o'clock, and the phone rang, and sure enough, it was Bob Hope. And he told me he loved my work and gave me some more topics to write on. And then I just kept writing for him and then eventually became a staff writer and uh, was with him for 15 years That is in the 80s and 90s. That is such a great story. I can't imagine getting that call and, and hearing you had that. So were you always funny? Were you funny as a kid? Where did your comedy sense come from? I, I had a, I, well, my parents, my dad was very funny. He had a dry wit. And my mom loved telling jokes that she would hear at work and she'd come home and tell. But I, uh, I always wrote. I was always a writer at, since nine years old. And I wrote this little book, and it was had a humorous bent to it. And uh, it, it was in those composition books. I still have right. it to this day. But it was called No Fun Being Young. And it was about being the youngest of five. And uh, so that started at nine. And then by 12, I was writing poetry, and I would tape it on the wall next to my bed. So I had like 35 poems up there. And some were funny, some were serious. And then I entered a gag writing contest in the uh, newspaper once and uh, at 14, and they printed my gag, uh, you know, on the cartoon. So I, I just started little, little by little, you know, just kept going on this path and then got into playwriting. I would write plays and, uh, and continue doing magazine articles. And then it just kept evolving until, until I started with Bob Hope. Well, that's awesome. And you were clearly, I'm sure, a groundbreaker for a lot of other women that probably came after you trying to get into comedy writing, too. So what was he like? Was he a demanding boss? Was he fun? Tell us a little bit about that. He was he was terrific. First of all, I'll say in 15 years, he never said one unkind word to me. So he was just a terrific boss. He was like wow. your dream boss. And and he was fun because we would have meetings at his house and in his office area to the side of his house. And 
I would watch the veteran writers and and they would get into a competition of wits with him and he always won he he was pretty quick and and I didn't have the guts to do that but uh, but he he was just fun to be around and uh, just he wasn't he wasn't demanding but his job was demanding so we had to write very fast and um, in fact one of one, one of our assignments was he was going to a, a psychiatrist convention. And so we had to write all these psychiatry jokes. And when he got to the venue to perform, he realized it wasn't a psychiatrist convention. It was a chiropractor's convention. Oh, no. <laughs> so we, we had about 15, 20 minutes to, uh, to write all new material before he walked onto stage. So. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. What a great story that is. <laughs> and, and you also wrote for Phyllis Diller. I mean, she was another yes. groundbreaker for, for uh, certainly for women. What was she like to work oh, for? Oh, she was terrific. I, the, the one word I can put on her is encourager man oh man the early uh jokes that i would send her she always put little notes next to them really you know like great you know dynamite uh uh just i mean just all these notes and then if there was a joke that she thought you know why don't you take this angle or why don't you take that angle she would write that down and uh she was just terrific and you know, Jean and I would go take her out to to uh, to dinner, and 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 she was a riot over dinner all the time. She was always entertaining. But what a sweet lady, sweet sweet lady. I just I miss her so much. Oh, that is so nice to hear, and that and that she was so encouraging of you too. Yeah. And you know, a lot of women in that position, you know, can feel threatened a little bit about other women, and that's just that's such a wonderful thing to hear because yeah. you know, she was one of my favorites too oh she was terrific so yeah let's move back to bob hope and talk a little bit about the book now and and for five decades he traveled the world uh performing before the american and allied troops and putting on uh, morale boosting uso shows and he certainly had a very unique relationship with our troops and especially the greatest generation during World War II. And, you know, I remember seeing his USO shows, you know, from Vietnam, because that was kind of my decade, but then even way after that. Um, but I think those days during World War II, um, it, it seemed a lot more special. So tell us how this really special book, Dear Bob, Bob Hope's wartime correspondence with the GIs of World War II. How did this book come about? Well, the interesting thing is, is it, it, we started it back when Bob Hope was alive and I, wow. uh, Linda grew up with the letters in the house and, and she, as a little girl, she was always curious to know what was in these boxes, um, boxes and boxes like banker boxes. And she was uh, wondering what was in it. So she asked the secretary, Marjorie Hughes, uh, if, you know what it was and and marjorie said that's history that's in those boxes that's history and linda even did a high school paper on these boxes and uh, of letters and so when i got to to see them and uh, i was working on a project and then i got to read through some of these and i was just amazed at at 
the historical significance and uh, the, the fun and the heart uh, that is in these letters. And it really shows, if you ever wondered why there was such a connection between Bob and the GIs, this book of letters will explain it. You'll, you'll read in their own words what Bob meant to them and what, and in Bob's words, what they, what, how much he admired and respected them. So it, it's a love letter to the GIs and it's a love letter to Bob Hope. And uh, it just, so I, I was so excited when I read these letters and I uh, called Bob and said, did you ever think about putting these into a book? And, and he, he loved the idea of doing that, but he said they were so close to his heart. He didn't think he could get through it, you know? So he suggested I talk with Linda. So I talked with Linda and then uh, we started holding meetings and talking about the book and, uh, and started it back then and collect, you know, deciding which letters to go in. And uh, then unfortunately he passed away and then a few years ago, Linda contacted me and, and said, would you like to get back on that book? And I was so excited because I didn't know where it stood. And there was a lot of work that had already been done on it. And so by this time, the letters were up at the Library of Congress. So I started going up there to finish the research and then finish up the book. And I'd send the manuscript to Linda and then she'd send it back with great suggestions and um, and we got it finished, and the University Press of Mississippi came on board, and um, it was going to come out last year in 2020 for the anniversary of the end of the war. Right. And, uh, unfortunately, with COVID, there were so many events that got canceled, so it came out in March of this year, and considering all of us getting through 2020 and the and the place where we're at now we could all use a good dose of hope and i think uh you know bob was always known for his timing and i think he's still doing it because it's coming out at the perfect time oh i love it and i love that the the hope and hope, <laughs> the, hope, pun, and hope. the pun on that too so it sounds like it was a wonderful experience working with uh, with Bob's daughter to put this together. Too. It was, it was, and it just it brought back so many memories because you hear Bob's voice in these letters, and you're like, oh man, you just miss him so much, and the world misses him, and exactly. he was uh, he was just terrific. Yeah, what yeah. what a blessing that that America got to have him. He was born in England. He came over when he was four. But America got to have Yes, them. we did. And what, yes. An, what an extraordinary man. So most of us listening to this podcast were born after World War II. But those USO shows during World War II were very, very important to the troops and really to everyone at home. And, and you know, they were broadcast over radio, too. And um, so can you take us back a little bit to those days and certainly going through his letters, I know you've seen that. What did these shows mean to people during World War II? It, 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 Bob was their, was their uh, life, their connection to home. He brought home and he brought hope to them. And there's letter after letter of these soldiers who were just barely hanging on and they needed this dose of hope. And then here comes this letter in the mail from Bob Hope. 
And when the soldier, the, the recipient of it, got it and he saw who it was from, all of these other troops would follow him back <laughs> to, to his tent or, or his, you know, wherever, and wherever he was trying to get alone to read his letter. And every, it just got passed around, the letter did, and everybody benefited by what he wrote in the letters. And, he, and often they would ask for something and he would make sure they got it. So he, they would get packages from him of, it, of whatever they wanted. And if he couldn't provide it, he would take it you know, up the channels. He'd take it to the people, he'd take it to Congress, and he'd take it to the president if he had to. He just was a champion of the GI. And he also did it in peacetime, not just war and then forget about him. He continued in peacetime to be there for the troops. Yeah, and he stayed re and he stayed relevant because I know you know seeing some of his shows, you know, in the '90s, I think doing USO shows, and the troops still just loved everything he was doing. It was always so great to see that. So let's talk a little more about the letters because I know that I had read that Linda Hope said that her dad received an average of thirty-eight thousand letters a week. I mean, that's really? Can you imagine? No. Yeah, 38,000 letters a week. He, he was the uh, G.I. Joe's hero and the postman's nightmare. I'm sure. And, and he, yet he would dictate responses to his, to his secretary. So did he try to answer every one of those letters? Or? He, he did. And, and, you know, we have no idea, how, you know, the percentage, you know, maybe if anybody could have answered all of them, he would have been the one to have done it. But uh, he uh, he tried as many as he could. And another thing that he did, which was just amazing, if a, if a uh, soldier could get up close enough to him at a show and they would hand him their mother's phone number, Bob would take these numbers home. And as soon as he got home, he would sit on the phone and call these moms and say how that he he had seen their son or daughter and you know give them a report how well you know how things were going and that that he, they looked well or if they were in the hospital sometimes they'd say don't mention that but um it, it's just incredible that it, this man comes home from this long tour and then comes home and, and does that and then the his last military show was was when he went, like you were saying, it was when he was 87 years old. And he's climbing in and out of helicopters. He's ducking the same incoming. And he's 87 years old. That it they got into his heart, they, the GIs. And he made, he had to have made a commitment internally to himself that he would be there for as long as he could for those guys and gals. And he did it for 50 years and probably would have kept on going if he could have. It's amazing. So I know you have some of uh, some of the letters. You're gonna read a few of them for us now because we'd love to hear them. And then, oh, I, and then I wanna hear how, it must've been so difficult to, with so many to figure out which ones you were gonna include in that book. So after you read some, we'll ask okay. you about that. Okay, um, this is this is uh, one that always touches me. Hi, friend. I remember the first night I spent on Iwo Jima. 
I said my prayers and I imagined I could see my little girl getting into bed, even though the Japanese were hitting us with their mortars. At this time, I was dug in beside the body of a buddy of mine, Gunny Sergeant Jay Bassalone. But all I could think of was home. Later on in the operation, I came across a fellow from Indianapolis. He had been hit with mortar fragments. While I was dressing his wounds, of which there were many, also giving him plasma, believe it or not, he was talking about home. When we put him aboard a track to evacuate him, he said, well, at least I'm headed for home. This story is true, Bob, and I guess he is home by now. I have been transferred to the second division now and sure hope to get home soon. That's all for you. Only I hope the people back home hold up their end of the bargain as good as we held up ours. One of your fans, Harry. Oh, that's so touching. Beautiful. Yeah, I and then um get this one. This is another one that uh, speaks for a lot of people, I think. June 6, 1944. Dear Bob. I'm writing to you because my husband was one of the soldiers you brought a little of home to in Sicily. It was the only entertainment he had during his nine months of active service overseas. And now he will never see any other. Yes, I mean that he was killed in action. He didn't die a hero. He never did anything spectacular. He just did his duty as best he could. His name will never go down in history as being great and yet he was to me, and I'm very proud of him. I received a letter from his commanding officer telling me what happened. It seems that night of March 17th, they were on the front line at Anzio waiting to be relieved. Pete, my husband, was out of his foxhole checking on the men in his platoon to see that they were ready to leave the minute the relieving unit arrived. Before he could get back to his foxhole, the Germans fired several rounds of artillery. One hit close to Pete and several pieces of shrapnel lodged in Pete's chest. I'm told that he died instantly. Pete, or Staff Sergeant Melvin E. Peterson, was one of the finest men that ever lived, and he will always live in the minds and hearts of his friends and loved ones. My husband was like millions of others, he didn't want to leave home and go to war, but there was a job to do and he was never one to shirk, so he went cheerfully. I wrote to you because my husband wrote me of the show he saw with you and Miss Langford. You seem like a friend and you saw him since I did. I guess that's why I've told you all about it. Sincerely, Mrs. Harriet M. Peterson. And that's why they're called the greatest generation, right? <laughs> that made me tear up. That's such a, uh, oh, there must have been so many incredible letters. How did you, how did you pick the ones that were going to be in the book? What was that process like? Well, it was, that was the hardest part of the book. I'm sure. <laughs> was, was selecting them. And, and the way it's laid out, the book, it takes you from the beginning of the war to the end of the war, but in between the letters are organized by uh, I'm missing my sweetheart or uh, their, you know, their complaints, they're all together, or uh, I won't be home for Christmas, all the Christmas letters, they're all together. 
So it takes you on this emotional roller coaster from the funny letters to the to the serious heart tugging ones uh, to you know the letters of historical significance and uh, it's just it, it, you just go <laughs> emotionally you're you're up and down and and by the end of it the overwhelming uh, sense that you will get is this gratitude for these young young men a lot of them were 18 19 years old and they went out there and and bob knew when he would walk onto stage that chances are a lot of those a good percentage of that audience was not going to make it through the next battle in fact one one show he did 60 percent of the of the people in the audience were killed in the in the next battle and oh, you, you know, that gets into your heart. And I think that's what kept him going. But so that's how it's organized so that you go on this, uh, uh, you know, emotional roller coaster. But by the end, you have this gratitude for the GIs and you have this overwhelming sense of awe of how one person did so much for the world, one person. And not only career-wise, because he didn't have to do this and add it to his to his package. No, he, didn't. he was he was already famous. He had already, you know, done a lot. People knew who he was. He had fans all over. But this was a commitment that this one person took to a new level that no that people haven't seen before 50 years of giving of himself giving back to the world how much um that he had had received he kept giving it back in fact there was this one moment when i was at his house and uh his wife dolores had remodeled their uh bedroom and his his uh office which was off to the side of it and so he was showing me the office. And then we walked down this hallway that was lined with photograph after photograph of him with presidents and generals and kings and queens. And, and it, it was just amazing that this man and it, you know, was, had this all in his life. And we get down to the end of the hallway and he turns to me and he said, in the most humble way, is something, isn't it, Martha? It really is something. And he was in awe of his own career. It wasn't like, well, this is me with this person and this is me. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe this kid that came over from England had the opportunity to do all that, which set him up to be able to give so much back. And Dolores was absolutely a partner in all of that. So, I mean, the, what a couple, what a couple. Wow. Just amazing. And, and how fortunate you were to know them oh. and to be able to work with him. I mean, your love and admiration comes through so strongly. And um, it's the book sounds really remarkable. As you said, it's a history lesson. And it's a story of just a man who's just such a great man who we all still miss. So yeah. I thank you on behalf of all of us, you and his daughter, for bringing this book 
as a gift really to all of us right now. And I think we could all use that. So as we as we celebrate the 76 year yeah. of World <laughs> War II ending, right? Um, and it's and it's Veterans Day too. It's I can't think of a better way to um to celebrate that and honor America's generation and and honor this really great man. And I have to say, Martha, what a great opportunity is to get to know you too and hear about your remarkable career. So what are you doing next? What's going on after the book? <laughs> well, I um, right now I'm currently writing another musical. I write musicals, uh, the, the script and, and uh, uh, they've been going on I think we're on our 11th or 12th musical now. So we're right, getting ready to write the, you know, put up uh, the, the 12th one, I think it is. So I stay busy and I've got another couple of book projects. So I, uh, I, I just love to write. I've loved it ever since I was nine and, and never dreamed it would be a career, but it sure has turned into one. So uh, well, that's, that's wonderful. You're an inspiration to all of us too. So thank you so much for joining me today. And everyone listening, really, this is such a special book. Bob Hope's Wartime Correspondence with the GIs of World War II. The holidays are almost here. What a great gift, not only for yourself, but really what a wonderful and great special gift to give to anybody right now. So thank you so much. And uh, I'm just delighted you were here today to share some of your stories. Well, thank you, Cheryl. I enjoyed it.